It is a joy for me to introduce our guest speaker that we have the superintendent of the Assemblies of God with us, Doug Clay. Now, he is becoming a friend of mine and uh, he is recently elected in August to lead uh, really one of the largest denominations in the world of which we are in this fellowship with them. And we thank God. We said, what day do you have available? When can you make it to River Valley Church? We want to start a new relationship with you as our new superintendent. He gave us uh, December 2nd and 3rd. I said, we're in. I don't even care what's on the schedule. We're in. We're glad that you would make it. And so here at all of our campuses, can we welcome Superintendent Doug Clay as he comes to preach the word today. Praise God. Hey, awesome, awesome, awesome. We probably ought to give Jesus a hand clap of praise for that incredible miracle offering. Come on, how cool is that? Yeah. Awesome. Oh, thanks. You may be seated. You may be seated. What a privileged opportunity to be on campus with you and uh, just to be a part of the uh, one church, many locations, but a huge global impact. And the model that this church is for the kingdom of God and churches really here in the United States and around the world. And so it's a privileged opportunity. You know, I'm well aware of the uh, spiritual diet that you're accustomed to week after week. And so uh, for those of you who are guests, and I know some of you are guests because when I was walking through, you noticed this little thing on my ear and kind of like, Oh, really? You know, uh, Pastor Rob's not speaking. It kind of reminds me of the time that I was, um, I had just left the church that I pastored in Toledo, Ohio, and was to fill in for a friend in Lima, Ohio. Lima is this little agricultural city, the west side of Ohio. And the pastor said, hey, Doug, I want you to come. I want my people to connect with you, you to connect with them. I'm going to take care of everything. Now, I'm not going to be there, but I just, I just want you to come. It'll be a great day. I said, sure. So I got to the church about a half hour before everything started and I found my way to the atrium area and was standing there. And about that time, one of the stakeholders of the church, and I knew he was a stakeholder because he had like a ring of keys right here, about 85 keys, you know, just kind of <laughs> right there. And he, he kind of flied up to me and said, hello, young man, how are you? And I said, well, I'm fine, thanks, how are you? He said, you must be like a guest with us today. I thought, I'm gonna have a little fun with this. <laughs> I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, it's my first time at First Assembly. I'm so excited about being here. And all of a sudden, his expression just got serious. His shoulders slumped. Kind of looked right and looked right. He says, Liz, I'm going to be honest with you. We've got some new young buck bishop from our district office filling in for our pastor. <laughs> but if you come back next week, it'll be a great message, I promise. <laughs> I said, will do. <laughs> well, you should have seen his face as I was introduced that day as a guest speaker. So for all of you who are guests here at any of our campus, you come back next week when Pastor Rob is speaking. I promise it will be a great message. Come on, put your hands together. Absolutely. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of the network of churches that I'm a part of, the AG, and uh, the part that you are playing to really expand the kingdom of God, not just here, but around the world. It's, it's amazing. It's a miracle. You are a part of seeing really a replay of Acts chapter 2, and it's just so cool. Thank you for being that kind of a church that understands you're not just some religious fraternity, but you really are a part of a revolution, and so I thank you so very, very much for that. So i got to ask you a question this morning. This is the big question, kind of the big idea of the talk tonight is this. Have you ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? 
You know, one of the most difficult things in life is to uh, hang out in God's waiting room. God's waiting room is that place where you're waiting for him to speed up. You're waiting for a resolve. You're waiting for an answer. You're waiting for a, uh, some situation to be. And it seems like you're in a hurry, but he's not. It's out of your control. You can't speed it up. You're in a hurry. He's not. It's God's waiting room. And I want to talk with you at all of our campuses. I want to talk today about this concept of how do you survive? How do you actually grow in your faith and not chuck your faith when you find yourself in a hurry and God's not? Let's look at some scriptures from Romans chapter 4. For this story that Paul talks about, it's about Abraham, and Abraham found himself in a hurry. It didn't seem like God was, and uh, he not only survived, but he sort of, he thrived in his faith, and he, he continued to fulfill the purposes that God had for his life. And I just think there's some takeaways for us today as we consider these scriptures. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 4, it says, As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so he became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now check this out. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Talk about someone who knew what it was like to hang out in God's waiting room. Here's the backstory: When Abraham was 75 years old, God said, hey, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a child. That, that child's going to become a great leader. That leader's going to become the great nation. It's going to be the nation of Israel. And at age 75, God gave him that promise. But at age 99, they still hadn't had a child. 24 years in a hurry, and it doesn't seem like God is. Unless I miss my guess, there's probably a few people in some of the campuses today that might find yourself in a hurry and it doesn't seem like God is. Now here's what I've discovered, no two church services are created equal. So I just sort of have a hunch that somebody listening to this it's unique from God for you. So how did Abraham, how did Abraham not walk away from his faith, but actually was strengthened in his faith while he was in the waiting room? Let me give you three thoughts about that. Number one, you've got to keep in mind that God can do absolutely anything. Do you believe that? I mean, you got to believe that God can do absolutely anything. You see, just because the situation is out of your control doesn't mean it's out of God's control. So sometimes in life, you got to just stop focusing on what you can't do and start focusing on what God can do. Look at what it says in verse 17. Abraham believed the God who gives life to the dead, who creates something out of nothing. I'd submit to you, in a miracle, that's what happens. God, God gives life to something that was dead. In a miracle, you start the year with zero in the bank and you end with over $6 million. Come on, that's a miracle. It's kind of like Abraham 
believed what Jesus said years later, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And I would submit to you, Abraham put his faith in God. He didn't put his faith in himself. He didn't put his faith in his accountability group. He didn't even put his faith in positive thinking. Now, don't get me wrong. Positive thinking is okay. But watch this. Positive thinking can only take you so far. I'm not down on positive thinking after all. Who wants to be around negative people? In fact, if I could write a book and know that I wouldn't get kicked out of the fellowship of churches that I lead, I would write this book, Casting the Spirit of Eeyore out of some of our pastors. You know who Eeyore is? He's kind of that blue donkey on Winnie the Pooh, the king of pessimism, you know. And, and, and so, so, but here, here's the deal. Watch this. Positive thinking is good. But when you're facing situations that are out of your control, you need a faith in a God whose name is El Shaddai, who in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. You need a faith in a God who, according to Lamentations chapter 3, says, call on me and I will rescue you. That's the kind of faith, that, that whole rescue thing. Uh, I'm in the grandparenting thing to, to now. We have five grandkids, five and under. Any grandparents in the house? Can I see your hand? Yeah, this is fun. I mean, it really is true. Grandkids are God's reward for not killing your own. And I'm really experiencing it. I, I, I'm just, I'm loving it. We have five under the age of five. And Jackson, my four-year-old, Jackson, the four-year-old boy, knows how to take his mom, my daughter's phone, and FaceTime me. It's so cool. I promise I'll get a text or something even during the teaching today or somehow. But so normally when I see a FaceTime coming from my daughter's phone, I know it's Jackson. And typically he'll, he'll grab the phone. He'll walk into his bedroom and show me his Spider-Man pajamas or some dinosaur. But a couple of weeks ago, he FaceTimed me and I hit it. I said, hey, Jackson. And he had this sour look on his face. He said, Papa, Papa, come rescue me. Well, here's the backdrop to that. His mom, my daughter, got on some gluten-free vegan kick in their household and thought that that would somehow help his attention span. I'm telling you, blended avocado doesn't cut it for a four-year-old. And so he was like, Papa, Papa, rescue. So you know what I did? I got in the truck. I went and got him. We went to Sonic, got some cheesy fries, Terminator strawberry limeade, and life was back to normal. <laughs> Jackson's convinced that if he calls Papa, rescue me, I'll do it. Sometimes when you're in the waiting room and it's out of your control, you got to put your faith in a God who can do absolutely anything. Second thing that I see how, that helped Abraham survive, watch this, is that Abraham was convinced that God's promises were valid. He was just convinced that God's promises were valid. Did you catch that? Verse 18, Scripture says, When hope was dead within him, he went on hoping in faith, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Now watch this. He relied on the word of God. Can I ask you, have, have you ever felt like hope was dying inside of you? You can tell hope is starting to die inside of you when you start to use the word never a lot. I'll never. She'll never, he'll never, will never. 
Come on, River Valley. I'm convinced, I'm convinced you and I can handle just about anything that comes our way, any trial, any interruption, any waiting room experience. If we'll get to that place when we are at our end, we'll rely on the Word of God. You say, Doug, do you really believe that strongly in the Word of God? Yes, I do, and here's why. This is why this church places such a high priority on Scripture, why your pastors use so many Scriptures in their teaching, because I've discovered that God never lies, and God will never break a promise that He's made to His people. Have you ever been the victim of a broken promise? Stinking hurts, doesn't it? Sorry, I don't know if I should have used the word stinking as a general superintendent. My bad. Um, wow, I, gotta, I forgot about that just for a minute there. But um, please don't, don't, <laughs> ah, whatever. Uh, just, I got to keep going. I just caught myself. My ADD kicked in. Um, but here's what I'm, when somebody, somebody breaks a promise to you, here, here, usually what happens is they either don't have the integrity or the ability to back up what they said they would do. In order for a promise to be made valid, it requires two things of the person making that promise. Integrity, you better be true to your word, but it also requires ability, you better back up and have the resources to back up what you said you would do. Come on, how many of you know we serve a God who's got both the integrity and the ability to back up every single thing, every single promise, every single scripture that's written? I suspect I discovered the power and just the validity of God's integrity and ability in my own life um, my freshman year at college. So I was born and raised in Michigan. I'm a third-generation preacher's kid. So I was kind of born and raised in this thing. You know, I, I cut my teeth in the back of church pews. In fact, many Sunday night, I was left sleeping in a church pew. Dad thought Mom was going to take me home. Mom thought Dad was going to take me home. Can I tell you, you can sing all you want. You are good, you are good, you are good. When the lights are out, you're sleeping in a pew. You wake up, you're the only one there. That's a spooky place to wake up. I don't care how many miracle offerings you have. It is a spooky place to wake up. You, you hear things you shouldn't hear. That's my DNA. I used to come early with my dad and help fill the communion cups and the communion trays, you know, and we'd put the grape juice in the mustard container and squeeze it out. And, and when no one was looking, I would chug down a little bit of that grape juice thinking I was really getting away with something like cool and mischievous. Man, I, I got to tell you, I love the church. Every major impacting eternal event in my life has happened in a church. I was dedicated as a baby in the church. I was born again in the church. I water baptized in the church, spirit baptized in the church, received my call to go in the ministry in the church. I'm telling you, this thing called the church works. And you're a part of an incredible machine. When I was nine years old, uh, my dad died suddenly of a massive heart attack. He was only 42 years old. My mom was 40. I was nine, my brother was 15, my sister was 18. But I got to tell you, I'm, I never really felt the negative impact of being raised by a single mom because I was a part of a great church, much like River Valley. And I had all these spiritual dads. In fact, long before that title was popular, I had all these spiritual dads, Royal Ranger commanders who helped me build my, my, my Pinewood Derby car. Youth sponsors that would take me to Detroit Tiger baseball games or on, on father-son campouts. Honestly, growing up, I kind of felt sorry for kids who only had one dad. 
can I just kind of pause here? I, 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 feel, I really feel right at home. I feel like my ADD is just right at home here. I don't know what that says about the leadership of this church, but I'm just tracking. I've got a, a kindred spirit going on here. And, uh, but but uh, so, so, so just, just a thought here. If you're here or you're at one of the campuses today and you're a single mom, I got a word for you. Number one, you can make it. And number two, you're going to need the help of a church to get you through. But I promise you, you can make it because I'm the product of a godly single mom who was connected to a local church and found God's will for my life. So, yeah, so, so I grew up, so I, I felt this desire to go into the ministry. So I took off to Bible college and, man, that's when it happened. Whew. That's when I started meeting other preacher's kids. In fact, my sweet mate was a preacher's kid from Illinois, and on the weekends, he would go home, and his dad would help him, let him take part in the service or be a part of a leadership meeting. He'd come back, and we'd stay up real late Saturday night just talking church stuff. He'd say things like, you know, my dad said this is how we ought to do assimilation. My dad said this is how we ought to organize a service. My dad said this is how we ought to do discipleship. My dad said, my dad said. And one of the first times in my life, felt like I had been cheated by God. I thought, God, I would like a dad that would mentor me in these spiritual ways. I'd like a dad that would sort of just mentor me in pastoral stuff. Now watch this, church. Again, one of the reasons why this church places such a high priority on Scripture is because when you go through one of those why is this happening to me type times, if you're not careful, you have a tendency to want to listen to yourself rather than the truth of God's word. And I don't know about you, but myself lies to me a lot. Myself doesn't always tell me the truth. And I had convinced myself that I was going to quit school, go home and take care of my mom because God had done a really unjust thing by taking my dad at an early age. kind of let this thing just get in my spirit. I wasn't processing the reality of my situation through the truth of Scripture. I was just, you know, God's unfair. God's not just. Look, you've got friends who have a dad. And I, I, I just, I, I was really, I, the enemy was playing head games with me. I remember calling home one night and saying, Mom, this stinks. <laughs> Connect the dots for me. Why, why would God do something so unjust to our family? And like only a cool pastor's wife mom can do. She said, honey, I can't answer your whys, but I can promise you this. And my mom broke into this prayer right there on the phone. She said, Lord, you said in your word. <laughs> now, can I just confess something to you? I grew up with my mom using that phrase an awful lot. Yeah. Lord, you said in your word. Boys, it says in the word. Can I tell you, at age 55, I am the general overseer of a denomination called the Assembly. I'm just telling you straight up, not everything my mom said was in the book was really in the book, Okay. <laughs> true. It's true. I'm, I'm convinced of that. But this time, this time she was spot on because her prayer went something like this. Lord, you said in your word, you'd be a father to the fatherless. And I claim that reality for my son, Doug. We hung up and I didn't feel any better. Thursday came, Friday came, I was still convinced I was going to quit school. 
the Bible college that I went to always had chapel services on Friday nights that focused on missions and global impacting. And, and, and I remember the missionary was presenting their project and what they're doing. I don't even remember where they were from and what the cause was. I just know when all the students were going forward singing, hey, I'll go, God, where you want me to go, I didn't. I just turned around and I knelt there in my chapel seat. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but because this thing was so going on in my, I couldn't even pray. I was just venting frustration to God. I said, God, this stinks. I'd been in that knelt kind of self-pity, now turning into a little bit of a victim mentality. And all of a sudden, I felt the strength and the warmth of this huge hand placed on my back. I turned around and I looked, and there was Coach Arnold. Forrest Arnold, 6'6", 250 pounds. We're talking a hulk of a man. He was the basketball coach, athletic director at CBC. and I mean, he had his paw, I mean, his hand on my back, just kind of doing that push thing, you know, how those guys did when they'd pray for you. And he, he just, he had that there. And I turned and I looked, and Coach had a crocodile tear coming right down his cheek. He said, Duggar, I knew your dad. We went to school together. I know your mom. They both are really proud of you. And then River Valley had happened. He took his hand and he pulled it over to my shoulder and he pulled me really tight into himself. He said, I just want you to know that as long as you are at Central Bible College, I consider you like my own son. And when he said son, I jumped up and I tried to hug him and he hugged me and I snotted and cried all down the front of his shirt. <laughs> but I promise you, in that embrace, it was like instant replay going off in my mind. 48 hours earlier, there was a godly mom who said, Lord, you said in your word. And from that day till now, I have never doubted God's integrity or his ability to deliver good on one of his promises. I never have. Never have. Now, don't get me wrong. I can't promise you that life is going to be hassle-free. I can't promise you that you're not going to experience relationship problems. I can't promise you that good people aren't going to let you down. I can't even promise you that the institutional church isn't going to disappoint you. But I can promise you this. Though mountains may crumble and seas run dry, it's the word of our God that stands forever. And when you find yourself in a waiting room, there's nothing that can protect your emotions and anchor your thinking like God's word. So sometimes when you're in a hurry and it doesn't seem like he is, you got to keep in mind God's promises are valid. God can do absolutely anything. His promises are valid. Let me leave you one other thought. It's this. you got to keep in mind that you can face your facts with faith. You can face the reality of your situation with faith. Look at verse 19. It says of Abraham, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he didn't waver through unbelief. Don't miss this teaching point right now. Abraham wasn't denying the reality of his situation. You see, there's a brand of teaching out there in some churches that goes like this. If you're a person of really mature faith, then you'll never have any issues. There's a Greek word for that. It's called baloney. <laughs> you see, it rains on the just and the unjust. Sickness comes to Christians and non-Christians. 
Cancer hits people who are in the family of God and those who are outside. So it's not about denying the reality of your situation, but it's about looking squarely in the face of your situation and say, you know what, I got a God that's bigger than that. I got a God that's stronger than that. I got a God, as my daughter taught me, who's taller than that. And I leave you with this story. Earlier in my ministry, I had the privilege of kind of overseeing youth ministries for the state of Ohio. And it was a really cool time. It was an opportunity to just invest in students and student leaders. And uh, part of my responsibility was to sponsor and lead camps for junior high and high school students. Loved it, loved it. Life-changing things happened. Well, I have two girls. Uh, anybody have more than one child in your family? Can I see your hand? Just, is it a mystery to you two kids can come from the same stock and be radically different? <laughs> Okay, that's one of those things I'm going to ask God about. I'll be like, hey, help me with that. They're both. And so same with us. When I was leading camps, my two girls were six and four. Ashley was six. Kaylee was four. Ashley loved to shadow me. She would get up and come to the staff meeting. She would come to the, uh, the, the early morning prayer time. She would come out on the ball field and hang out when we were doing sports. She'd come to the pre-service prayer times. And she was, she was just all in for that. Well, it was like Wednesday night, and it was uh, the, the theme was the Holy Spirit, the work and the person of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, uh, and the camp speaker made reference to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It was, a, it was powerful. It was a great teaching on, 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 on who the Holy Spirit was. And following that service, we were walking back to our cabin, and Ashley, who was six at the time, stopped me and said, Dad... Between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, which one's really God? <laughs> I thought, ooh. And I stroked her head a little bit. I said, honey, that's a great question. And there's a great answer for that question. But I think that's one of those questions you and your mom should bond over when we get back to the room. <laughs> no, Dad, which one's really God? And I said, okay, babe, this is what we're going to do. We get back to the cabin and I put you down. Um, I'll come in and I'll unpack that for you. So we're walking back to the cabin. I'm thinking, how do I get this? I don't want to blow this. This is profound. I mean, the mystery of a trinity, three and one. And, a, you know, I, I'm just saying to myself, WWPR, what would Pastor Rob say in something like this? I just, I just needed, some, I needed some theology. I needed some insight. And, and so we get into the cabin. She goes in the room, and I'm preoccupied with, what do you say to a six-year-old? How do you explain the mystery of the trinity? All of a sudden, I heard this scream from her room, Dad! Dad, come in here quick. Oh, great. Some mouse found its way into the room, and I came in, and she's sitting up on the bed. Her eyes are wide open, and she looks at me. She says, Dad, I figured it out. I figured it out. I thought, cool. <laughs> Six-year-old can explain the mystery of the Trinity. Look, I'll focus on the family. I'm going to write my own set of Odyssey books and make some money, you know. And I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, well, help me, babe, between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Which one's really God? And she looked squarely at me and she said, Dad, if you just thought about it, you could figure it out too. <laughs> Six years old and already a spirit of her mom was on her, you know. I'm just like, wow. I said, well, help me a little bit. She said, God the Father. I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, why is that? How, how can God the Father, God the Son, God the why is God the Father really God? And she looked at me and she said, Dad, because he's the tallest. <laughs> you want to know something? I've never tried to change her theology. 
Because in junior high, when this girl's struggling with some relationship, hey, baby, God's the tallest. High school, when this all-American Christian girl starts cutting, God's the tallest. And I just want you to know, sometimes in the waiting room, when you're in a hurry and it doesn't seem like God is, you got to remind yourself, I don't have to just ignore what I'm going through. I can look squarely in the face of what I'm going to, and I can declare that my God's the tallest. That's what, at times, will get you through your waiting room experience. Abraham, when hope was dying inside of him, relied on the word of God. He kept in mind that God can do absolutely anything. He kept in mind that God's promises were valid, and he faced the reality of his situation with faith with faith. Hey, let's pray. God, I want to thank you that your word and people from scripture have 21st century application for where we are at. I suspect that today somebody watching, listening, observing this teaching might be at that place in the waiting room and and hope is dying inside of them. They have started to use the word never a lot. Maybe the enemy has brought a sense of uh, doubt into their own minds about their calling and their abilities because somehow you haven't come through on the timetable that they feel best about. I don't know who it is. But God, here's what I pray for anybody that's here in the waiting room, that they would remember you're in the waiting room with them. (laughs) You're in the waiting room with them. Lord, in my own life, you've never airlifted me out of my waiting rooms, but I've always found you to be in the waiting room with me. And God, I want to thank you as well that it is okay to lean on other people's faith when our faith is weak and we're wondering, where are you at? So, Lord, today, I pray. I pray for the people of this great, great church. That if there's someone who's just weak in their faith, struggling to see you as being the tallest, that your victorious right hand that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 41, they would literally feel your righteous right hand, sustaining them, being with them, reminding them that as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear and serve him. So God, help us to grow in our understanding that you're a God that can do absolutely anything. Help us to grow in in deep conviction that you have the integrity and the ability to back up everything you say. And give us daily confidence to be able to face the realities of our situation knowing that you are the tallest. I pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen.